They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha with your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. And welcome everyone back to another fun-filled episode of Talking with Tarashuk. I'm here again with a guest. We're taking another break from our How to Start a Podcast series to speak about fintech, financial technology, and the winter meetings in baseball. My guest today is Mike Wilkins from R3. He is the head of Industry Solutions? That's correct. Ah, nailed it. I was going to forget, but I did not forget. So it, is a, it is kind of a fun title. And What's cool about it is it, it kind of encompasses so much, but it, it also kind of encapsulates so much of what I do which is what I basically do is I focus on taking all the work that we do with exchanges and central counterparties and other big players in the financial space and combine that with the work we do with banks and brokerages and other kind of regulated entities that participate in those markets Mm -hmm. and develop kind of standardized, repeatable stories so we can land even more banks and brokers and uh, financial market infrastructure providers. I mean, you'd think that would simplify it, but, you know, I work in this space. I see a lot of crazy titles, so that's that's a new one for me, but – that this has a whole lot of questions. But I guess, yeah, Mike, just kind of introduce yourself, who you are. You're a friend of Alan Schoenberg. So, and, Alan, and, thank you, sir, for the connection. I appreciate it. Appreciate uh, appreciate you hooking us up, Alan. Uh, although, Will, you may regret this in a few minutes. <laughs> so, uh, oh, you may not want to take another referral from Alan. Anyway, I am Mike Wilkins. I am the head of industry solutions for R3. I have 25, God, I'm getting old, 25 years of capital markets technology experience going back to the um, – the early days of electronic trading, when we first saw the migration from trading pits and trading floors to the hum of uh, and the, the hum of servers and the uh, the clicks of keyboards on, mm-hmm. on electronic trading screens, it was really kind of a you know the late '90s, early 2000s were really a, a very transpa- transformational time for, um, for for capital markets technology. And I was uh, I had a front row seat to that, having been a uh, a clerk and then a trader on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, not a very good one, um, Ooh, and then having the chance fired. to um, to move upstairs and uh, kind of you know have this front row seat to uh, to watch as the uh, this business moved from the floors to, uh, to upstairs as well. Uh, so I've had the chance to work with a number of software vendors. Um, I've worked for a couple of um, a couple of banks and a financial institu- institutions as well. Uh, m- I consider Chicago home. And then oh, they spent uh, five years living in London and now have been uh, just outside New York for the past three and a half years. Awesome. Well, I did promise Alan we'd talk about baseball, and we were in dead heat of winter meetings. Um, but it is finished. But a lot of big signings, a lot of big people on the board. Mm-hmm. But my man, Aaron Judge, everyone had their doubts. And uh, John Heyman really <laughs> made it like, off Twitter for a few months <laughs> for Arson <laughs> Judge. But – my boy, back in pinstripes, as I called on this podcast with uh, Phil Riccobono on September 28th. Nice so, to know. This is the man who saves the receipts. Yeah, I do save the receipts. I looked back, I looked back on TikTok. I was like, when was date this? What was the date? Yep, there it is. Yeah. So, yeah. TikTok and everything. Aaron Judge, you know, um, I, and he signed exactly what I thought he would. Yeah. Loyalty. Yeah, You know, exactly. He he told – I like this little report that he told all the teams – Legacy is more important than money, mm-hmm. which was how he struck me. He wanted to get paid, yep. which is why he bet on himself in the, in the, before the preseason, which, right call, because he had an MVP season, 62 home runs, mm-hmm. batting 300. Mm-hmm. You know, was this close to a triple crown. Yep. And then he got, his, he got his money, and he has his legacy. Yeah. What do you think of the deal? I think um, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of cliches in baseball, but I think one of the, uh, the best ones is that, you know, it's mediocre teams rebuild, good teams reload, and I think the Yankees mm. have essentially, you know, between sign, you know, re-signing Judge, who I think was flirting with a, uh, you know, spending some time out on the on the West Coast, but I think in the end decided that you know loyalty does trump all, and that's how he ended up back here. But I think that, you know, good thinking back to that, you know, it, between re-signing Judge and then also signing, a, you know, re-signing Anthony Rizzo, I think the, think the Yankees have uh, once again reloaded and positioned themselves nicely for yet another run deep into the playoffs. Well, they do. They do need to make a few more moves. They need another arm. They lost Talion to the yep. Cubs. Mm-hmm. South Side Chicago. Yeah, North, well, side, North, Chicago. North, North side. side, North Side, South Side. I'm a, see, I'm, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm a White Sox fan, so um, would never be uh, never be caught out on the North Side. I mean, I was bummed to see Talion go. I thought he was a good anchor for mm-hmm. that division, but um, Yankees need another arm. I don't think they should go up to Correa because I think they're infield. They got these young guys. Give the kids a chance. Yep, let the kids play. I would love them to sign Ben Attendee. 
I think the Yankees need contact hitting. The problem with the Yankees is they can't get on base. Mm -hmm. They got these power hitters in Stanton and Judge and Rizzo. If no one's on base, so they got to have somebody to bat home. Otherwise, exactly, a lot of solo home runs. Well, that's that's why they lost to play. Honestly, DJ was a huge loss to them. Yeah, um, uh, Benatendi was a huge loss to them, and then Glaber couldn't bat lead off. The Yankees. No. The problem with the Yankees was they didn't have a leadoff hitter for that playoff series, which exactly. got swept by Houston, which. Makes me so mad. It, you're, um, and you're Jose Abreu exactly. betraying your yeah. fan base. Segwaying very nicely into my White Sox. Um, I think that, you know, an example of a you know a, a mediocre team that's going to have to rebuild, I think the White Sox are going to find themselves not necessarily – I mean, we obviously lost Abreu to the uh, the hated Astros. There's been a really good long-standing rivalry between the, uh, the White Sox and Astros dating back to the 2005 World Series. And I think that that, you know, in the wake of all the um, – the naughty things that the Astros were up to, kind of in the uh, you know the mid twenty tens. I think that yeah. they've um you know everybody likes to hate them now, but I just like to say that you know the, the White Sox rivalry predates them even being in the AL, um, which is another whole story that I can't quite uh, quite figure out. But so yeah, seeing Abreu go to the Astros is a massive gut punch, and it does kind of concern me about you know where are my beloved White Sox going to be in the next couple of years? I'm guessing it's probably not. They're probably going to be playing golf in October if this trend. Keeps yeah. Up. I mean, but that's just, that's just kind of like the story of the Central. Like, the AL yeah. Central itself is just bad. It's always the tallest midget. I mean, that goes yeah. back for, you know, as long as I've been following baseball, you know, ever since they moved from uh, the East and West and, you know, created the Central. It's like, okay, let's take all these, you know, very middling teams and um, lump them together and see who can be the uh, the tallest midget. And it's it's kind of the same in the National League, too. Cause you got the Cardinals, the yep. Cubs, who are bad, the Brewers, mm -hmm. who are okay. Okay, yep. Uh, who else even in that division? You got the, the the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Cubs. I think it's what, one more team. There is one more team. And Pirates. It's the Pirates. The Pirates. Yeah, who are always bad. Yeah, who are in Pittsburgh on the East Coast. So go, Exa go yeah. figure that. Yeah, exactly. I, although I guess it has to do with the um, you know, Pittsburgh. You know, it's it's a midwestern city that just happens to be located on the East Coast. I mean, mm -hmm. I say the same for. I grew up in Rochester, New York, uh, before I moved to Chicago, and they always say the same thing about Rochester. You know, people will always joke, "Oh, Rochester is actually where the Midwest starts," because it's just another. Uh, <laughs> another struggling, uh, you know, industrial town that um, you know, best days are behind it. So. True. I mean, but the NL, the NL West. I mean, the National League right now is stacked. Absolutely, it's stacked, stacked upon stacked upon stacked. When did the Padres get good? That's what I'm trying to figure. Where out. Where did the money? That's what yeah. I'm trying to figure out. You know, you got you got Tatis on suspension, which mm -hmm. I think his career is over. Yep. I just think it's over. Yeah. You I can't bounce so. back from that. No. Like look you at are tainted. Look at look at Robinson Cano couldn't yep. bounce back. A Rod couldn't bounce back. Granted, he was older. Yep. But anyone who gets caught that PED sixty day suspension, ninety day mm -hmm. suspension, whatever it is, you are tired with that brush the rest of your yeah. career. Yeah. And it's just like you got to perform. It's like, well, can you perform? I heard today the Yankees might go after him. I was like, no, no, you no. don't need that. Cancer, don't yeah, do it. Exactly. Yeah. But you know they 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 picked up they did they did the long game they did it over the past three to five years they got Manny Machado mm -hmm. from the Orioles yep. which steal yeah great third baseman mm -hmm. excellent defender yep. fantastic hitter um, they just picked up Xander Bogarts for eleven years which I want the Yankees to get Xander Bogarts because being as much as I hate the Red Sox I do love Xander Bogarts he's exactly. a phenomenal player yeah and I think that's uh as soon as that uh that you know, he changes into that New York jersey I'm sure all the uh, the, the Boston animosity will be that uh, Oh yeah, put a memory. Yeah, it's gone. Forget dare it. you? Dare you say? You know, to make a little bit of a joke here, do you think that the Yankees uh, bogarted Bogarts? Oh, they might have. That's a good one. Could have gotten them for a steal, but no. Do you like? Not. Well, I mean, again, I like their I like their young guys, Volpe. Yep. And I forget the other guy. It's like one of the Cabreras. Volpe is a uh, Volpe is absolutely amazing. He's actually a you know to play a little bit of name dropping here, but kind of a random connection. Volpe's aunt is somebody I've. You know, I'm a big Twitter junkie. We can talk more about that in a bit. But Volpe's aunt is a, somebody I've followed on Twitter for years, and she's always kind of posting on, on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> like kind of his, just his progression in the pa through the minors in the past couple of years. It's fascinating to watch because the kid is just such a raw talent, and I would love to see him um, love to see him play in the bigs this year. But, you know, it might need another year of seasoning. Or yeah. So. I mean, if I'm Cashman or I'm Hal Steinbrenner at this point, like, listen, you got these young guys, these prospects who are arguably ready. Mm -hmm. Play them or trade them. Yep. Because they're wasting time and resources in the minor leagues. They're not getting any younger. That's for that sure. That too. Yeah. And look what happened to Judge. You know, yep. Judge came to the minors, homegrown talent. He's a little, little on the back. He was a little older when he got called up, probably like mm -hmm. 26. Yep. Supposed to Volpe is what 23. Yeah. Give or take. So, give the kids a shot. You know, you got the Cab the Cabreras, Oswaldo, and the other one, mm -hmm. Peraza, <laughs> um, who were it's a utility guy, yep. great utility guy. You know, you still got Glaber, who can be a streaky. Yeah, he's very streaky. Very so, streaky. Yeah. I'm a big Glaber fan. It's Glaber Day in my. It's every day is Glaber every Day in my is house. Every day is Glaber Day in the Tarashuk house. Yeah, but I mean, same thing with him. If they trade him for a better player, I'm not opposed to it. Yankees yeah. need left fielder, um, but I think the team to beat is the Phillies. That's um, I, that it's got to be hard for you to say as a New Yorker. 
um, because see, uh, I don't see I don't have that hate for Philly. Cause I'm, I actually grew up in Boston. Did you? Okay. Wait. So you grew up in Boston, but you, did you? My grow dad. Up in my Boston? dad. My dad grew up in Summit. Okay. You know? But are you? Did you grow up in Boston as a Yankees fan? Mm-hmm. Wow. You must have been really popular. In I school. was in fourth grade in 2004. Put that in perspective. Wow. So it's not October 28th, 2004. It's the worst day of my life. It's the day after. I had to go into school. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay home from school. But my parents, God bless them, wouldn't let me because they're like, listen, Will, like this is you gotta go to school. Yeah. Education is more important. And I remember my fourth grade homeroom teacher was just literally was to my face. Will, I'm sorry. Yay! <laughs> and they did a fifth grade laugh on the whole like, on the whole classroom. And I was just like, I get it. Uh, I get in, it. Yeah, youth in sports. So my um. You know, talk about for my sins when it comes to the NFL. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, having grown mm. up upstate. Uh, so my son, for better or for worse, has picked up the Bills gene from me as well. And he, um, most of his friends are Giants fans. And up until this year, you know, in the three years he's been going to school in Ridgewood, in New Jersey, he, Giants fans have not had a lot to crow about. So they really take out all of their, their, you know, their, their Giants frustrations on the Bills. And, you know, even if they have to dig out the, you know, the infamous, you know, wide right in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you know, Super Bowl in 1991. They're not afraid to play that card even though it was long before they were alive. I mean, he's a freshman in high school. For yeah, but it's just it's fun. Exactly. I mean, even fun. I know that play. Yeah. Exactly. You a, everybody, everybody knows that miss play. Miss an easy field goal. They need a Vinatieri. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like, you know, I say I'm from Boston. People assume I'm a Giants fan, but no, no, no. I'm a Tom Brady fan. Yeah. I love Tom Brady. Baseball is my sport. Like, honestly, I don't care about football as much. Like, you know, I'll root for the Celtics, but I don't really care about basketball right. either. Baseball is my sport. What about the Bruins? Because they're really good. They're also really good. I never played hockey, mm-hmm. so I know very little about hockey. I right. would go to a hockey and they'd be like, hey, Will, let's go to an Islanders game. Mm-hmm. Done. There. Hockey is the best game. sport to see live. And especially, with, especially at Devil's Prices. I mean, you can pick up decent seats for 20 bucks. Go to the Rock. Uh, down at the Rock. <laughs> it's getting harder and harder because they've gotten to be really good. Um, I went about a month and a half ago and saw them when they when they shut out the Avalanche. Mm. And it was absolutely, the place was absolutely rocking, no pun intended. So it, it, it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. And, you know, I'm guessing in another month or so, I'm not going to be able to get $20 uh, lower bowl seats on SeatGeek anymore to go see the Devil's Day of. It's going to be a much more complicated uh, proposition. Well, hockey in and of itself is a growing sport in the U.S. Yep. Like, it's always been here, you know, but we, we, didn't, we haven't had a Wayne Gretzky in a long time. There's, mm-hmm. no, there's no face that sport. It needs a LeBron James. It needs exactly. an Aaron Judge. It needs a Mike Trout. They're all just names I can't pronounce. <laughs> so I got, that's a big problem with hockey. But people who love hockey – yeah, they um, obsessed with it. They they do. I mean, I think it's I think it's actually the best sport to see live. I agree because even if you're in crappy seats, you're still close to the action. Uh, you can still follow it. Um, there's no real. I mean, as much as I love baseball, I mean, baseball is my sport too. But you know, baseball games are getting longer and longer to the point mm-hmm. where they're instituting pitch clocks, which I think is a sin. But I guess it's a it, it you know it's such an affront to the game. But I guess it's necessary because it's gotten a it's gotten so bad. You know. Football, I can take it or leave it. Um, when the Bill, I'm more of a Bills fan than a football fan. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure That's in fair. three or four years, you know, after they lose another bunch of Super Bowls, the Bills are going to start to suck again. At which point, I will <laughs> going to uh, lose a coin, another coin toss. Exactly, lose another <laughs> coin toss, or, or somehow, you know, they they always they are the most snake bitten team in um probably hey, in professional sports. It could be worse. It could be the Jets. Could be a Jets fan. At least the Bills have never had a butt fumble. Look at it. That yeah, way. a few of my a few of my friends went to school at Hofstra, Long Island, mm-hmm. so I know a lot of losers, loser fans. <laughs> uh, a few of my friends are Mets, Knicks, Jets fans. Wow. Yeah. Talk about long suffering. I, I guess know. That puts, um, that puts Bills, Sabers, and White Sox into a little bit of perspective. Although I think I think I've still got it worse because you know Chicago, we have that massive inferiority complex to New York in the first place. So. Well, I do remember that 05 team. That White Sox team. Oh, yeah. They had Jermaine Dye. Jermaine Dye. Uh, Canerco. Paul Canerco, my favorite all-time White Burley. Sox. Mark Burley, absolute ace of the rotation. Their closer had the weird mustache. Bobby, uh, Bobby Jenks. Bobby Jenks. All 265 pounds. Yeah, on they had a really, really good team. Those Astros, oh, they had Clemens. Yep. They had Pettit. Yep. They had Royals Walt. Yep. They had they still the Killer Bees. They had, killer, they they had, had Berkman, killer. Biggio, Bagwell. Yep. That was this uh, all-star Hall of Fame um, roster on both teams. Totally. And it was a sm- it was a smoked it, yeah, because I remember I remember the Yankees got booted, I believe, first round to the Tigers. Yes, as they did in that era. Yes, the Red Sox <laughs> got booted by the White Sox. They yep, sw- White Sox swept them, I believe. That is no, they did sweep. No, because it was the White Sox beat the Red Sox. Yeah, uh, and, and the then NLDS. they beat the Angels. ALDS, and they beat the Angels. They, they beat the Angels in the ALCS. That was the only, they lost one game in the ALCS. Naturally, that was the only game of the ALCS that I attended. Ooh. So. I went to two in the division series. They won them both. I went to one in the ALCS. They lost, and I went to one in the World Series that they won. So that's exciting. Scott Pudsednik, who had Scott no Pudsednik home runs too. all season, hit the game-winning home run to um, that playoff baseball. Sounds like I don't like baseball. You just watch playoff baseball. Exactly. It's exhilarating. Yeah. It's playoffs so exhilarating. in the, yeah, playoffs in any sport are really uh, it's something yeah. really special. 
But I think there's something about seeing everybody, you know, watching base, unless it's in San Diego, watching baseball in October, all bundled up, you know, jumping up and down just to stay warm and cheering, you know, standing up every time there's two strikes on a batter. There's just something about that that you don't get in any other sport. Yeah. And that's, what, that's what's always It's, it's the it. slow agony. Exactly. The yeah. slow agony and the painful watching from going like this. Yep. Bang but, the drum slowly. That's but, yeah, growing up as a Red Sox, a Red Yankee fan in Boston, you know pain. Yeah. That's just, that's just the way it is. And, you kind of, you know, I'm accustomed to losing by now, nowadays. Yeah. You know, I was too young for the 96-2000 run. Mm-hmm. I was there, but I don't remember them. Yep. So, Team 2009 was really cool. Yeah. Um, that was a great team. That was a great run. And those Phillies, man, when, once Paige went the mound, I was like, it's game over. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Let's so we put him in his place, mm-hmm. and less less is history. Yeah, so that's gonna be interesting. I I I do think the NL East is still the best division in baseball. You got the Braves, you got the Mets, you got the Phillies. The Met now, what's going on with the Mets? They basically, I mean, they're wasting getting, a lot of money. That's it, for well, sure. they wasted, so they got rid of Degrom, you know, who's a who's expensive, fragile, and getting old. Which fair call? He went he went to he went to, uh, he went to Texas, Texas, who to, are not obviously to not do nothing. Yeah, exactly. To, he's to, on to, vacation in, in in a tax free state. I was about to say, you know, he's, yeah, he just uh, you know boosted his tax bracket significantly, mm-hmm. not only thanks to his contract, but then you look at because they got rid of Degrom and they go out and get Verlander, who's six million dollars. Yes, and he's thirty seven. Yeah, it's only nine years younger than me. Yeah, that's, that's old in baseball terms. That's very old in baseball really old, terms. Yeah, and how long's his contract for? Two years. The club option for a third. Okay, still. So that's going to put him at forty. But you know he you know he, he left a few too, games this year with you know they paid him they paid him too much money yeah. paid him thirty like thirty million dollars over what he's what he's worth and granted Cy Young sung a pitcher yep. phenomenal pitcher one of the best of all time first bat Hall of Famer don't want to take anything away from the man right but too much money yeah he's um he's getting old that's just the thing at the end of the day and you know good luck to him I think that you know again living here I know a lot of Mets fans as well as a lot of Yankees fans. They're almost as long suffering as us White Sox fans, but yeah. they still, you know, they, again, they have the whole inferiority complex of being the uh, the other New York team. And I hope that, you know, maybe they can do something. But for Stevie Yan- Cohen's got the deepest pockets there is. Yankee so. Stadium or City Field? Um, for atmosphere, I would say Yankee Stadium easily. It's also mm-hmm. a lot easier to, for me to get to from Northern Jersey. Uh, in terms of food and drink options, I would definitely say City Field. I agree. I think it's a, I think yeah, it's I say I take my friends to Yankee Stadium, I take my kids to City Field. That's a. Uh, that's a good way to put it. I don't have kids, I, but, but someday you will. Yeah. No, I am. My, my son has gotten to be a. Um, he claims to still be a White Sox fan, but I think he's kind of uh, aligning with the Yankees now. So I've taken him to the uh, to get a few Yankees games. And, you know, he's 15, so he just wants to go and eat 100 bucks worth of food and watch some baseball. Yep, there so, you go. And I go and drink 100 bucks worth of beer and watch some baseball. There so you everybody go. wins. That's all it is. End of the day, I'm a baseball fan above all else. Exactly. That's the and thing. That's what you know, it comes down to. You know, Game first, club second. Yeah. yeah. But all right. Let's talk about some right. fintech. Let's talk which fintech. Which is kind of, kind of what we're here for. So fintech, the most basic. What is it? Financial technology. So Okay. So it's funny <laughs> that, that, that you lead right with that, with, you know, what is fintech versus what is a financial technology. So the way I look at fintech is it is something that's – it's an aspect of – changing the way business is done somewhere in finance, whether it's banking, banking, not banking, <laughs> whether it's banking, capital markets, uh, money management, but it's some sort of disruptive new way of doing things that poses a challenge to incumbents such as banks or such hmm. as kind of like large legacy software providers. So it's like it's any form of disruption. I think it's, that's the way I look at it is, is any form of disruption as opposed to financial technology, which is what I think of as kind of the uh, the incumbents, the big enterprise providers in the space. I worked for a, I've worked for a few of those over the years. And I can tell you that most of the time, our competition that was nipping at our heels was these uh, these insurgent fintech startups that were uh, you know they're well capitalized, hungry, and uh, and a lot more agile than these um, these battleship or oil tanker, whatever you want to compare them type of um, type of enterprise firms that we were, that I was typically working for. We definitely felt like our uh, our heels were being nipped by them. So it really is any anything that's out there to kind of challenge the status quo is how, how as, far, as far as how things are done in, a, in finance. And specifically for, so like for example, I think the Bloomberg terminal. Right. Like how traders got information and data, the Bloomberg terminal probably changed everything. Exactly. Because everybody on that mid on that mid desk, they all use the terminal. Right. It's incredible. Yep. It's a great tool. No, totally. Yeah, it is. And it's a phenomenal tool. I remember the first time I used Bloomberg in the late 90s. I was like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. I can get... Um, you know, live quotes on you know any equity in the world. I can model you know strategic options trades. I can get sports headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do anything. anything. Yeah, Literally you really could do anything. Terminal. But now you look at, I mean, Bloomberg is definitely. I would consider them you know financial technology. They're one of the incumbents. But over the past few years, there have been companies like Symphony, and uh, there's another one the name of which Market Map, and there's another one the name of which I can't remember, but have kind of come along and tried to tried to eat Bloomberg's lunch. Mm-hmm. 
and they've been able to get some market share. But I think that what it, what it boils down to in the case of some of these uh, the incumbents in that space is Bloomberg's got the, the media talent. Mm. And I think that they've got that's the thing just as much about the technology and the distribution is they've also they've also got the uh, the talent behind it. And they've got some you know really big names on them you know, on their roster. So it's but, but Bloomberg's a good one of a of an example of a firm that, you know, fintechs, you know, nimble, agile startups have, have gone after and, uh, and failed. You know, they've, they've come for the king and they've missed, essentially. Well, it's it's very, very hard nowadays to come for the king, mm -hmm. which is why I think a lot of startups like, you know, we are ambiguous podcast solutions is technically a tech startup. Right. You know, we're podcast tech. So pod tech. Right. Pod tech. Um, yeah. Pod tech. Um, but, you know, it's very hard to go after the king when you can just get bought out. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of startups, their goal is to get bought out. I know my goal is to get bought right, out. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do this forever. I don't want to go out to Google. I want their money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but that that comes with an issue. Because I was talking to um, Chris Engelbert, who is an RA, um, RA planner who does investments and okay, retirements. Yeah, I'm familiar with that space. We'll talk about that in a minute. Right. Yeah. So, But his thing is like his thing is like the next big innovation is healthcare. Yep. But, you know, while the healthcare space is getting bought up by these mm -hmm. other companies. Yep. So you can get the innovation from the technology and get the technology bought up, but are the prices going to come down? Well, no, because it's a then it's a monopoly and it's yep. corrupt. Exactly. So, totally. like, if, if all these tech companies, fintech companies, startups in general want to get bought up, where does that really leave the market? Mm -hmm. See, so I, the way I kind of look at it is, I would say that you know, based on my experience, a lot of fintechs would rather. I think that it owes partially to, to you know to founders' egos and personalities and everything else, but. More of them want to go. They want to go public. They want to, you know, yeah. be, be there on CNBC ringing the bell. Mm -hmm. But then going back to the the point you just raised about healthcare and health tech, I think in that case, just because you're never going to go out there, you're not going to take down Johnson and Johnson. You're not going to take down Pfizer, the, uh, Pfizer or Moderna. Billion, or any of those. Well, Moderna is one drug. <laughs> yeah. Moderna is kind of you know technically a startup too, but they're hard to take down. But thinking one of the examples I always think of when it comes to uh, to health tech is there's a company that does um, smart thermometers. Um, mm. And it leverages kind of Internet of Things and collects data from these smart thermometers to determine potential, um, you know, future pandemic outbreaks based on people who have a fever. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the company. I got it written down. So the, Kinsa is the name of the company. So what Kinsa have done is they've built this um, this network of smart thermometers that gathers data and allows them um, you know, allows healthcare professionals to kind of you know track future trends. That company's get acquired. They are definitely ripe for acquisition. I don't see a company like that going public, because you look at like, you know, going back, you know, Johnson and Johnson or Becton Dickinson or some of those other big healthcare conglomerates. Why would they try to innovate on that? When they when they've got the deep pockets, they can just run out and buy a buy a Kinsa and make the founders very happy. Yeah, and for and for quick innovation, don't get me wrong. Sometimes people have a great idea. I mean, one thing about the United States, it's the most innovative country that's Absolutely. ever existed. Having lived in the UK for five years and you know traveled to thirty two countries during that time span, I can tell you absolutely. And, no and you can say like China does this, that, and the other, but they also they steal our IP. Exactly. Right. That's just yep. what they do. Exactly. Yeah. They can't make their own. Right. I mean, they probably could, but their government their system is. Yeah, it's they not that easy. That's what I can't figure out. Is they certainly have the scale to make their own and make it better. And they you have... know what? They got the pockets to buy ours. Exactly. Yeah. Who knows where that money? So it's just it's it's a lot easier to just buy the competition. Like if I'm Pfizer, do I want to spend the money for research or do I want to spend the money on the people doing the research? Right. I'm gonna do the research and make the profit off the back ends, and then you can just raise the prices because that's what what they can do. Exactly. That's I think. I don't I don't know when someone needs to step in. I guess the government, which never is gonna happen, mm -hmm. but. It's it sounds good on paper. The innovation's there, technology is there, but the prices are only going to continue to go up. And I think that's just a problem in the, the tech startup world in general. Because if they keep getting bought up and up, it's going to be harder to start a company, mm -hmm. which means more layoffs are going to happen. Right. And that's uh, that's interesting too, because I I do think that I mean we're seeing with the um, obviously with the big names um in you know tech like you know Mo uh, Moogle, sure. Microsoft, Google, uh, you, you know, they've uh, uh, Meta, the Facebook, fang, whatever the fang it's called. Yeah, exactly. The Fangs have all kind of announced their own rounds of layoffs over the past, um, you know, over the past few weeks. I think that you're also seeing, obviously, when the um, when the smaller tech startups do layoffs, it, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, just because they're it's expected. Exa they're it, it's expected. They're, they're startups. startups. You know, you got to you know, fail fast, fall forward, and figure out what's next. And I think that so it doesn't make as much news, but I think that. You're starting to see that knock-on effect. You know, I talked to you know, I have lots of friends who are very active in the startup space, and they're seeing definitely some. Um, I mean, a couple. You know, my former employer that I was at for a couple of years before I came here just uh, just laid off a, a yeah, probably not, not quite ten percent, but you know, a fair amount of their employees. You know, a, a fair percentage of their employees. It's just um, it is hard to see, um, but it's not totally unexpected. 
thankfully right. I'm you know I'm lucky enough to be in a uh, you know in a space at an employer who as far as I know we don't have any uh, layoff layoffs planned anytime soon so we're really looking for you know we're really looking to Not we're looking work. to hire if you here's a quick plug check out r3.com/careers if you're interested in a Learning more about uh, you know distributed ledger technology and how it's uh, you know revolutionizing capital markets. Mm, fantastic. Okay. So it's with I guess even with startup funding, mm-hmm. with startups, this year is going to be a very difficult year for VC funding. Absolutely. I think in general, you know, you can debate whether we are and aren't a recession all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, I view it as people are in a recession. Right, like people, everyday people have yep. been have been in recession the entire year. Exactly, everybody's getting squeaked. You know, things just cost more. Yeah, and I think that that's um, so. It's kind of taking the recession question, and then tying it back. I'm going to try to tie it back to VCA. I'm going to try to kind of model it back, but we'll, we'll see how I get on with this. Um, but thinking overall, I do think that we're in a recession mainly because this has been the most. We're due for a recession, mainly because this has been the most telegraphed recession on record. Yeah, it's all we've been hearing about for the past eight, nine months is how every possible warning sign is flashing red. And they, and they change the definition. Exactly. Yes, they did change the definition. <laughs> like, let's all forget that. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, so you, you, you can make the argument that, listen, the numbers in the stock market don't reflect a recession. No. Let's go, well, okay, well, let me beg the question then. Who do those numbers reflect? I don't think they reflect the uh, the man on the street no, right now. No, they don't. Who's, you <laughs> that's, know, that's getting a you know, $400 a month gas bill. That's right. It's sure. like people in this country who live paycheck to paycheck. Yep. Um, and even if you're, they're in recession. Yeah, exactly. And even if you're, you know, well off, you know, even if you're making 150, 100 grand a year, you're probably still living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. It's just you know you're paying for you know you're making payments on a on a Volvo or a Range Rover instead of a instead of a Chevy, and you're you know you're probably shopping at you know Nordstrom and Brooks Brothers, Brooks Brothers instead of the Gap and Target, but you're still feeling it because everything just costs more. Yeah. And I think that that's um it, it's just because of that everyone's just kind of rolled that up into definitely indications that. You know, stuff costs more. Wages aren't corresponding necessarily. We're going to be in a recession just because consumers are going to be forced to lock to, to you know to, to lock their spending down a bit. But at the same time, what I also find interesting is that so much of this is being blamed on stimulus and free money and easy money and everything else. But the stimulus it's payments piece, ran out like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I don't want I don't, I don't, don't want I don't want to call my friend Phil McIntosh from mm-hmm. from Nasdaq Trade Talks. I'm going to call my friend Phil McIntosh from Nasdaq Trade Talks. The man always says. Stimulus checks, people still do stimulus checks. And I, I'm in the control room in the back of my mind going, what, the $1,200 from 2021 of January? Exactly. Yeah. Who's, who still has that? Right. And it, he could be talking about unemployment. Because mm-hmm. unemployment did happen. People did have savings. Right. But if you look at the, the data now. Even that's all run out there, hasn't it? Like the unemployment, well, yeah. See, the thing is, the, 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 the mainstream is finally starting to talk about how credit card debt for young people and people in general, the consumer, mm-hmm. is way up. Right. While um, the debt, the credit card spending is up and the debt is up, yep, and the savings is down. That's the it's biggest gone. Thing. I mean, that's one all thing. All gone. America, I don't think, has been a nation of savers for you know the past two or three generations. Well, there's a reason. Th- well, this is. A I'm good, sure not. This this is a crazy theory I have, um, which it can be torn apart by experts, definitely for sure. I'm not an expert, so but it's hear. like it's the credit system. Mm-hmm. It's this the idea of credit, because what is credit? You're buying something you can't afford. Well, why are you buying something you can't afford? Because you can get credit for it. Right. If there was no credit, nothing would be affordable, mm-hmm. which means everything would come down. Exactly. Interesting. I think that it really is. It, that At least like in basic economics 101 theory, it's probably a lot more difficult in practice. Yeah. But in theory, if you didn't have, a, if you didn't have credit cards, people wouldn't, people wouldn't buy what they can't afford. Yeah. Like I have really, really good friends in Nashville who are this, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. and sort of the smartest people I know on the planet. Right. And they go, listen, we have no income tax. You want to cut down on spending? You just don't buy as much. It really is that simple. Whereas up here, New York, a third of my money goes to 401k, yep. health, my health insurance, yep. taxes, yep. And, uh, and social security. Yep. New Jersey and New York tax. Exactly. Yeah, in the same way. You know, I, I can't just buy less stuff. Yeah. When half my money is getting half stolen. my money. Exactly. Half my money is going to uh, you know to fund. I mean, I it it you know it certainly isn't funding you know better railroads. It certainly isn't funding you know pothole fixing. I feel like it's just you know it's funding you know pensions and pension debt and everything else as a result right. of a uh, and you can, promises you, and that you were under prices to come down ago. because these bigger companies are going to buy up all the smaller ones. Yeah, and nobody's going to break them up. Exactly. But back to your point about credit for a second, because it, it always kind of interests me that I feel like to you know to, to get your first credit card, you start going out on a limb. And then all you're doing, you know, as you start stacking up that debt and everything else, you're just going further and further and further you're out on that limb, deeper. and eventually it's going to break. Yeah. And you can think of that both as, both as a metaphor for individuals, but also as a metaphor for you know for for the American consumer as a whole. And I think that you can definitely hear the boughs creaking right now, and I really hope they don't break. But it could be a um, 
curious to see kind of what the consumer spending figures and everything look like uh, into you know, January, February of, of well, next year. After see, the CPI numbers are also – consumer price index, people yep. don't know. It's also a little misleading, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, oh, you can say consumers are spending more, right? They have the money to spend. It's like, well, that's one way to read the chart. But you can also be like, well, we could look, we'll talk about shrinkflation. Mm-hmm. So a box of cereal. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like a 20% less in the box of cereal. But the cost is also more. So they're paying more mm-hmm. for less. And because a, they're paying more because the costs are higher. Exactly. I bought a thing of beef jerky the other day at the grocery store. I swear to God, it was like seven bucks. And it was maybe an ounce. Oh, it was tiny. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big beef jerky guy. Amazing. Um, you know, good, wholesome snack that's better than uh, stuffing my face full of Cool Ranch Doritos, which I've also been known to do. But I just feel like, you know, that that bag of Doritos isn't necessarily getting smaller, but the, uh, the packages of beef jerky certainly are. So anything that's kind of uh, in that premium snack department, you know, premium consumer goods department, I should say, is definitely yeah. uh, getting smaller. I mean, you look at, you know, Shampoo bottles and uh, all of that stuff is just it's smaller but the same. Cereal boxes is a really good point as well. Um, it's just it, it's crazy how it's gone from it used to be you know I think sixteen ounces, sixteen or eighteen ounces, and now it's twelve, thirteen. So we we could debate what's causing the inflation. You know, it's at what seven and a half percent right now, mm-hmm. based on how they calculate it, which means better prob- than it was supposedly. Which, which means it's probably more because they probably don't calculate it correctly. Exactly. <laughs> like I think I think government calculates it correctly, but I think it was like it. with meat prices, they didn't count steak because like people buy a lot of steak, so they didn't count it in the in the uh, the inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. It was something ridiculous. And ridiculous so they, they're not counting steak, which yeah, is yeah. They're not they're not in counting counting with something that people buy the most of. Right. You know, you know please, fact check me on that. Um, but it was something like that a few months ago. My point is. The inflation number, they say it's 7.5%, but that's based off what the government tells you, which right. means it's probably close to 12. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, you know, double it and, you know, and divide by half or whatever yeah. the, whatever the So definitely is. stimulus is a part of that. Yep. You know, the government was prepared to print a trillion dollars a day. Like, I think mm-hmm. it was like 30% of the money supply ever existed. I remember we had our first trillion – I mean, I'm so old. I can remember when Ronald Reagan, at some point in the mid-'80s, we had our first trillion-dollar budget. Mm-hmm. And now we're printing, you know, trillion a trillion dollars a day day and it's just i was listening i was listening to you know a, a, a podcast the other week and they were talking about just the sheer amount that just goes into servicing the debt right now and again going back to you know it, it was something like one and a half trillion dollars a year well they're not servicing the is debt is going to they're, yeah. they're they're spending less so like let's say like you know trump spent say trump spent 20 trillion dollars in the debt just make up a number yep and then the next year biden spends 18 they go oh, we're servicing the debt yeah meaning we spent two trillion dollars less but no 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 you spent 18 trillion more yeah exactly <laughs> you know it, it, it number ain't getting any smaller yeah. so it was just talking about how back to that trillion dollar budget figure now we're spending that just to, you know, to i don't know service pay down uh deal with whatever we want to say but 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 about our debt it's just it's crazy to think that those types of numbers are just a just a norm well let me ask you someone mm-hmm. who works in finance yeah. uh is money real? Is the U.S. dollar real? And let, let me let me back this up by a little little history lesson. I okay, guess. Yeah. Uh, I se- see where this is going. Seventy-two. Yep. We went off the gold, Woods. We went, yep. off the, we went off the gold standard. Yep. Which, which Nixon said it was going to be temporary. Yep. Yet here we are, fifty years later. Yep. Um, U.S. dollar is backed by itself. Yep. Or in some, it's even backed by the petrodollar, which yep. is oil. Exactly. Um, but let's take a fast forward to just a few weeks ago, <laughs> where crypto, mm-hmm. FTX. Yep. What's crypto backed by? Well, itself. Yeah. So it's not regulated. Yep. So how is the dollar not the exact same Ponzi scheme as crypto? <laughs> but if you're going to say, what's it backed by? Itself. The faith of the U.S. government. Well, what you what you should say is, what's the U.S. dollar backed by? Our nuclear weapons. Yep. Which I think is a lot more fair, because who's going to call us on our debt? No one. We're going to blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> what is that term for? It, it's, like, it's not first strike deterrent, but uh, uh, mutually assured destruction. destruction. Yeah. I guess that you know the U.S. dollar. You know, you, you could argue it's backed by mutually mutually assured yeah, mutually assured destruction. I mean, that didn't stop Russia. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, if that, I think that's a good actual case study to take a look at the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is backed by itself, which means it's not backed by anything. It's backed by this imaginary thing that we all agree on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was, when it was gold, it was actually backed by a physical thing that had value right. that fluctuated with the markets. So how is the dollar not different from crypto? I guess because it's – I guess because the government comes into play. The government controls it. So for better or for worse, it's not some you know hipster dude living in the Bahamas um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. trying to be effectively <laughs> altruistic and using you know, exchange, you know the means of exchange of crypto as a way to, to fund yeah. that. I don't know. It, it, it's interesting, and again, this kind of ties a bit to my profession because what we do at um, what we do at R three is we've kind of taken the uh, the technology that underpins crypto with 
you know, putting things on a, you know, a shared distributed ledger, um, allowing for kind of free frictionless exchange. But then yeah. we've done what we've done on top of that is we've made that that ledger private and permissioned. So you have those same means of exchange, means of frictionless exchange, but in a completely controlled environment. So you're leveraging all those efficiencies mm. that come from that uh, that wild west unregulated space in a more kind of in, in a much more stable, um, you know, managed, secure fashion. And I think that that really um, it it is it, it it is a cool business model in a way. But I think that also you know we do crypto sometimes is. struggle with it. Yeah, crypto is interesting because it's unregulated. Yes, that's what makes it sexy. Exactly. That's what makes it dangerous. Exactly. Like U.S. dollar, it's like yeah, it's backed by the government. But what's the government backing it with itself? Yeah. So it's the same problem. It's like how is it, how is money real? Yeah, like, that, that's why I was like, who cares if the debt's high? It's not real anyway. Yeah. Who's like who do we owe the money to? Do you ever um do you ever listen to the Odd Lots podcast? No. Uh, okay, so there's a so it, it, it's two guys or it's a guy and a girl from a guy and a girl from Bloomberg, uh, Joe Joe Weisenthal and uh, Tracy Alloway. Mm. But Joe had this whole thing um, a couple of years ago about the easiest solution to the uh, to the national debt. Would be to mint a uh, a trillion dollar coin. I have two, heard this ten, theory. Yes. So MTFC, mint the effing coin. Yeah. And that would instantly make all our debt problems go away. It would. So you all go, well, is it would it though? Because that's isn't it just printing more money? Well, yeah, it is just it, it's printing more money, but you're taking it from the mint and depositing it in the treasury, and I guess that that solves all the problems. I mean, but the same thing though. Like if money is backed by itself, you can just create money. Why not just create more money then? Yeah. If it's not real, if it's well agreed, it's funny money. Like, I mean, we all Monopoly agree, money. Like, we all agree the economy is based off what people believe. So if everyone believes that money isn't real, just give people money. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds too simple. It would never work. Yeah. I feel but. like we're getting, uh, you know, we've gotten dangerously close to that between, uh, you know, stimulus and student loan forgiveness and everything else. Yeah, it's only money, right? Yeah, it is only money. Well, student loan forgiveness, yeah. you know, I would love that 10000 forgiveness. Right. I would cut my loan in half. Mm -hmm. Oh, please. <laughs> but what I said from the beginning, you know, Christian and I have talked in this podcast about student loan forgiveness. It doesn't fix the problem. In fact, it doesn't even address the problem. It ignores the problem. It makes the problem worse. So do I support student loan forgiveness? Duh. I have it. Right. But do I support student loan forgiveness? No. It doesn't do anything. Exactly. It yeah. doesn't do and, anything. Yeah. And it's it, it's just funny. You look at, the you know, I think, you know, if, if you look at the numbers now, I think you've got more and more students going to college than, um, than ever before. Mm. But at what cost? And Everything. what are they learning and what are they taking away? It's like I don't think that you can, like the type of stuff – that happens in you know that happens you know in the space that I operate in is very you know in in fintech in general mm -hmm. is you know it's really business school one one it's identifying a marketplace, it's identifying a way to service that marketplace and then figuring out you know put, so using kind of the, the the business or econ side of the brain to identify a market you know identify a need identify a market, and then using the finance side of the brain to figure out what do I have to spend to address that market and how do I scale up right that's you know that's really all you need to know to be you know, to at least kind of dip your toe into into founding your own business. I think that that's – I don't know how much of that is being taught in schools right now. I feel like everything I hear about on the news and everything else is all about, you know, basket weaving or um, – Humanities. Or hu humanities or those Theater. kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, that's another thing. You, you, have, you have kids, yep. co college age, about to go to college? Uh, one years? is out of college and one will be going to college in a couple of years. What, so. what did they go to school for out of college? Uh, my daughter went to school for sociology and she is now mm -hmm. a social worker. And yes, she has some student debt. And yes, daddy writes a check for it every month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My parents had to bail me out a few times yeah. with that as well. So, hey. We're millennials. You're going to be paying for us until you're dead. Exactly. I mean, like, again, another thing we talked about in the previous podcast with Chris Engelbert. It's like, yeah, which is which is known. Don't get me wrong. It's in shattering news. Is trillions of dollars from your generation or even your parents' generation being passed down to us. Exactly. The great generation. redistribution. But the big problem is, what's the greatest hope for my generation? The previous generation has to die. Right. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. People live longer. People live longer. Yep. And don't get me wrong. Like, my retirement... If I have I have 401k, mm -hmm. but I could I could theoretically be like, listen, I just need that money now. I'm relying on the estate of my parents right. for my retirement, which theoretically would be enough, mm -hmm. plus my investments. Right. But then what? Like once once that generation's dead, and like people in my generation can't buy a house to a 40 or 50. Yep. We got a mortgage. Mm -hmm. We die with that mortgage. We don't want to pay off to our next generation. So our my generation might be okay, but my generation after that exactly you're going to be completely sad. You're going to get this, you know, this night, you know, this it's nice night eventually. It's going to come too late. Yeah, it's going to come too late. It's going to come too late, and it's all going to be gone. And it's a very real, you know, thinking back to my time living overseas in the UK. It's really scary. It's a massive problem in the UK right now. Is nobody can afford to buy a house. 
whether they're, oh, they yeah, you know, somebody, you know, whether they're right a millennial, whether yeah. either a Gen Xer like myself, it is impossible to get on the property ladder anywhere within 100 miles of London. And they're doing all kinds of, uh, you know, both the, you know, the Conservative Party and the Labor Party have come out with all these different plans to kind of you know, help people get on that ladder. I mean, I think that it would be that type of thing is a little bit better received in the UK than here just because, of, you know, societal attitudes toward government and everything else. I think they're a little bit more open to that mm-hmm. to government help. I mean, they definitely wouldn't fly here. But I think that we're going to be facing, again, you know, similar to the credit crisis I talked about earlier, we're going to be facing, a, you know, a real estate crunch as well, where nobody's going to be able to afford to buy homes. And my friend told me, like, within the last week, the market has officially crashed. The housing market has officially yeah. crashed. I think my Bloomberg might have said that I saw yep. something on it. So I also saw another study that if you want to buy a house, you have to make six figures. If you don't make six figures, forget it. Yeah. You're not being able to buy a house. And I think that's just one person, maybe not a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what percentage of people in this country make six figures? I think it's like 18%. It's, I think it's really skewed living where we live. It just feels like yeah. everybody does. Well, it's, I think I think that was like a national average. Mm-hmm. So like that 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 hundred thousand dollars is the same in New York as the same as in Oklahoma. Exactly. And you think about you know thinking back to your friends in Nashville. I mean, they're probably making you know significantly less than you and I do, but they're probably they're they're living better just because you know they're not you know coughing up however much of that to the tax man every you know every pay period. Well, they might be making similar mm-hmm. to what I make. I'm paid pretty well. I don't want right. to act yeah. like I'm not. Um, but they. Doing what they do, like uh, my my buddy's dad owns some construction firm, mm-hmm. build like operator whatever, right? And you know Nashville, so he's right at the coal face. He's right on the front oh, lines yeah. of the hell. Yeah, like I was I was in Nashville in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, August 2020, visiting my friend and going to see Nashville because we we're thinking of headquartering there and moving there and whatnot. Right. Um, I went back this past August, two years later. It's completely different. Yeah. Everything. Skyscrapers are built. They have a Batman Tower. Yep. Like, it's, it's it's a whole new city. The people there are even now different. So things in Nashville are also really expensive. And you're seeing the problem there that we see everywhere else. LLCs and companies in Wall Street are buying up entire neighborhoods. Exactly. Jacking up rents. Yep. Bozos from California paying the high rent because it's less. Exactly. It's still, it's still, yeah, it's still out, saving 20% of California. S- but guess what it's doing to the locals? Yeah, squeezing them out. And there's so much of that going on. I mean, you look at, you know, Ken Austin, Griffith. too. Yeah, Texas. Austin's a big one. Florida. Um, Florida's a big one too. I've got some, you know, firsthand experience because you know my my dad, and my in laws both live down there. But it's interesting to see like how much of Florida that, he's on the, the the Tampa side, so the you mm-hmm. know, the not so fun side on the, mm-hmm. the Gulf side. But even there, you're still seeing so another round of new construction picking up, just because so many people who you know are enticed with the promise of work from anywhere are working in Florida because of the uh, the tax regime. But then you look over on the on the Miami side. And you've got, you know, Ken Griffin from Citadel moving, you know, their operations down there. You've got Credit Suisse is opening a big uh, big office down there. Um, Deutsche Bank. So, you know, some of the troubled banks are definitely uh, getting in down there. But it's also, you know, Miami's also kind of the crypto mecca. So if, yeah. you know, once this, you know, this latest round of crypto shakeouts kind of shakes out, I think that, you know, you'll see even more of that kind of gravitate to Miami as well. Yeah, but it's, I just, even when things crash, everyone crashes. Yep. Everyone crashes. Yep. And people who are um, on the lower ends, even the middle class end, they're already crashed. They're gonna crash harder. So, who's gonna have to, who's gonna have to buy it? Well, who gets bailed out? Well, yep. <laughs> the banks, mm-hmm. the corporations. Yep. And now you're gonna have them being everyone's landlord. That sounds awful. Yeah. No. It's yeah. And that's, you know, um... try 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 ne- uh, negotiating um a a a credit uh, not credit a um a lease negotiation with BlackRock or with something. BlackRock. Yeah. Exactly. Good luck. No. Tr- totally. Try, and try like they don't give you security back back in thirty days. You want to try and sue them? Good luck. Yeah. Good luck with that. It's all going to a black hole. But kind of you know thinking back to you know BlackRock and you know just kind of all the you know asset management and private equity that's out there. It's um. Thinking back a little, you know, we were chatting a little bit earlier about kind of, you know, private companies and, you know, and valuate, you know, valuations and investments and everything else in, in private companies. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, BlackRock's obviously been a, you know, you know, long time mm-hmm. in that space. But in general, I think that these lofty valuations for private companies have had a lot of, you know, other firms pile into it as well. And I think that because there's been so much interest from, you know, real money, from institutional money in these private equity funds. They've found a way to get, um, you know, average Joe off the street investors in too. There's a lot of companies out there that are enabling kind of retail access to um, to private equity markets. And I think that's another reason why we've had, you know, a bit of froth with valuations of, of private companies, especially in fintech, is just that it's so much easier to get money in there because, let's face it, money is easy right now, or money historically for the past couple of years has been, Pretty easy to get, so you're you're going to pile into something that's not the stock market. You're going to pile into something that's not gold or treasury notes. You're going to try to explore something a little more interesting, like uh, you know private company investments. And I think that that's um, 
with all those inflows, I think that you're starting to see, you know, valuations are definitely getting a little bit frothy. And it's going to be an interesting next uh, 18 to 24 months in the fintech space, just in terms of uh, valuations. You may see some IPOs, you know, postponed. Mm-hmm. You may see companies kind of go out for additional funding at a, you know, what they call a down round, which is a, a lower valuation than they, uh, they previously went for. And I think that that's, I don't entirely know what that end game looks like in terms of, uh, of consequences, but I think it's one that we're, um, we're probably going to be learning about in the, um, the coming months. Well, I think tech's a bubble. Flat I, out. I think, okay. I think a lot of tech is a bubble. Fair point. And like, let's take a look, right? You got, you got the Fed raising interest rates, mm-hmm. rate hikes, yep. and who's been hit the hardest? Well, tech. Yep. Where are all the layoffs coming in? Tech. Yeah. Where, who doesn't make money? Tech. Mm-hmm. Twitter doesn't make money. Twitter's right. never been profitable. Right. And with Elon coming in, you know, he's fixing a lot of things. He's, he's, he's exposing a lot of collusion with the government he, he, for sure. He really, and I think that it's— But you know, he can't make money with it. Right, exactly. Because Twitter's he, never been a money-making machine. Right. Ever. Yeah. And no, it never will be. Exactly. No, it never will be. So with, with these layoffs coming, hitting tech so hard, how are they going to bounce back? I think that the rubber band in tech always snaps back really quick. It's a very resilient industry. Mm-hmm. Well, the innovation yeah, yeah. will always be there. Yeah, exactly. The Block, innova- blockchain, right. VR, you know, Zuckerberg's betting the house to get on the metaverse. Yep. I think it's going to fail. Just for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's gonna People want to do things in the real world. I can't see myself strapping on a headset. So we've got, we have a, I got my kid a, um, Metaver- whatever Oculus. Called. Oculus, yeah. thank you. Got him an Oculus for Christmas last year. And I thought, oh, this is going to be super fun. Put the damn thing on. I get seasick every time I wear it. I wear glasses. Yeah. I, I wear glasses you, you, you glasses. Can't, yeah. No, I wear contacts, and I can't wear my yeah. glasses. So it's... Like, I don't even wear sun... I, I can't wear sunglasses. I wear I wear glasses. Right. Right? I don't get prescription sunglasses. I'm not going to wear a fucking VR helmet for three yeah. hours. Exactly. What, you, so you know, mind? fogged up and steamed yeah. up. Yeah. What, you out of your mind? You exactly. get a so I can go, you know, shopping at the... You know, I can, I can go to, you know... The, uh, you know, metaverse chase, take out some, you know, magic metaverse bucks and go to Banana Republic yeah, or like whatever. I'd the, much rather, yeah. These glasses have a, a blue filter. So I got to look at screens all day. Yep. Well, the goggles, it's t- three inches from my eyes. Yeah. I'm not going to go blind by the time I'm 40. No, it's, um, yeah, <laughs> like, there is, I just can't figure out what the appeal is. I think, again, it's, you know, it's the generation even younger than yours. I think it's, yeah. the, uh, you, know, you know, kids like my, you know, like my son who've always been online. They don't know anything else. Right. So. But I do think it's interesting that with the economy crashing, the first thing to crash is tech. Yeah. Which means that was the f- – now is the always like the safe bet. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you know, look at the NASDAQ 100. Most of them are tech companies. Indeed. Right? And now all the, a lot of them are going to crash. And then what? This is interesting because, you know, tech has become such the bellwether. I mean, I remember – And we rely so much on tech. Yeah. I mean, everything we do. Is you know is, is powered by computers and mm-hmm. powered by technology. Fossil fuels. Yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> no, but you think back to the um, you know, like the, the bellwether stocks. You know, the eighties and nineties before you had the first dot com boom and everything else. When you looked, at, I mean, obviously IBM's a technology company, mm-hmm. but most of it was financial services. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, back then you didn't. You know, it was well before the uh, all the mergers and acquisitions took place in the banks. So you had all you know all these banks that were kind of considered your blue chip stocks. You had you know General Motors was a blue chip, Ford was a blue chip. My God, why buy any of those stocks now? No, because they're all going to get their lunch eaten by a uh, Tesla or Nikola or whatever the other um, you know EVs, st- Rivian or whatever the you know hot yeah. EV and I think like uh, like Chevy and those cars are trying to make yeah, um, but they just can't do it. They're they're not nimble enough because of the way that the, the businesses are run. Well, I guess with technology and fintech or just kind of that innovation of technology. So my friend, thinking again, Nashville, smart ones now. Mm. He had they had this idea where if you want to make EVs really work, um, you got to make new highways. And only have them be for electronic trucks shipping. Okay. Right. So it says you have the EV trucks getting all the stuff back and forth. Mm. Now cut time down super quick because right. no one needs to man the trucks. Yep. No need to sleep. No regulation right. in terms of people. Right. And it's just like they just they're shipping stuff so 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 fast. So it's gonna be expensive to one build the roads. Yep. And two, you where gotta, do you put them? Like, where are you gonna put another another lane? Two, yeah, another two or four lanes here in you know New Jersey. I mean, you like can't. Just a, you know, it's just a giant cluster of interstates well, it feels like i mean here's the thing though that again innovation yep. u.s will find a way yep. but that that is that is a good solution he's got get... flying autonomous driving trucks there we go oh god there's, your, those there's your billion billion dollar, uh-uh, billion dollar, billion neg- dollar neg- idea negative right from me good sir <laughs> but you know think, think of like how fa- how much faster regular traffic would go if you didn't have their shipping containers on the road yeah all the time it just it would clear up a lot of space you gotta, you gotta build the roads. Yeah. Or just dedicate a lane to the electric vehicles just to just to get manufacturing through. Just like the buses going into the Holland Tunnel. Yeah. yeah. That too. Or the Lincoln Tunnel, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. They got their own lane. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I don't know. Where do you I put mean, it? That becomes the question. The tech, the tech in the EV space is very interesting, but again, we got to upgrade our infrastructure. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't have the power grid to handle all those batteries. Well, you know what? The uh, the guy who was in office for a while, you know, before uh, Biden came along, kept saying, you know, every week is infrastructure week, but I didn't see anything. And now, you know, Biden's first thing when he took office was touting infrastructure, but obviously, you know, with a the way he packaged it, it's going to cost us a heck of a lot. I mean, it really, and it's going to take really a really long time. Back better, didn't we're gonna, we? Yeah, we're just going to build something. Yeah. In the next like thirty years, I so cool. They'll finally get like the uh, the NJ Transit Tunnel sorted out, just for me to hopefully retire. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I yeah. think it was like they did an estimate. We need ten trillion dollars of investment in our infrastructure. That's ten days worth of government spending. Hey, man, that's that's just that's just what the Pentagon lost last week. Yeah, exactly. He said that the Pentagon they can't find two trillion dollars again. Yeah. Again. I would hesitate to think about the problems they must have with uh, nuclear missiles going missing. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. But I know the arms were selling to Ukraine. Some of them end up in Finland. Some mm-hmm. of them end up in Africa because the dummies didn't put tracking on the weapons like yeah. Rand Paul wanted. Blockchain solves that. Well, blockchain's also interesting. So complete pivot from government and mm-hmm. military. Um, blockchain technology is very interesting because it's very secure Yep. for now. Yep. You know, hackers will figure it out eventually, mm-hmm. but. Not if you have a private permission ledger. That's the hope, but at least. Well, fingers crossed. But I think that kind of blockchain stuff, where I do see the metaverse or blockchain or this new kind of like the, the technology behind something like a crypto being successful is entertainment. Yep. Video games. Mm-hmm. Like VR is cool in video games for a little bit, but in terms of just like what those graphics cards can do and what you could like you can do on a screen, I think video games and entertainment is where that stuff is really is like entotech. The things mm-hmm. that are fintech, that technology can be used for entertainment. Entotech, yeah. And entotech, yeah. And yeah. tech, whatever. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, I don't know. What do you see the future of like video games? I am. Um, I'm not much of a gamer. Like it's funny. J- like just uh, last night, my son absolutely kicked my ass at uh, the one football game or the one video game I kind of play is uh, is Madden on Madden. The Xbox, and my son still absolutely whomped me. I think it was 31 to 10 or something Oof. like that. But I think that video games will continue to become more immersive. I think that you'll eventually move away from the headsets and they'll find a way to make it even more immersive than that whether it's I mean the model I like to think of is I'm a, um, I'm a really bad golfer mm. but I still enjoy the game of golf and one way I try to get to be a better golfer which doesn't really work but it's virtual golf best, exactly <laughs> is virtual golf you go into these simulator bays and you you're kind of you know you got this big screen that that you're hitting at it's measuring all your you know all the different um, you know benchmarks as far as you know ball speed launch angle everything else it measures all that in real time it's super cool and I think that, you know, you kind of look at the next evolution of that, which might be, you know, instead of just hitting into a screen, that screen sort of surrounds you. You have yeah. views of, you know, maybe other players off to one side or maybe, you know, the rest of the course off to the other, make it a little bit more ambient as far as sounds and everything else. But another one that kind of comes to mind is Formula One. I mean, there are mm, there are racing. people who yeah. have these oh, really, yeah. I mean, thousands and th- you know, tens of thousands of dollars on these fully kind of kitted out Formula One simulators where they'll buy – you know, specially made accelerator pedals and specially made p- paddles and steering wheels and everything. And they'll sit at home in this um, this open cockpit that looks like the cockpit of an F1 car and drive the F1 circuits. And, you know, from what I've seen, it is pretty realistic. Um, mm. I think it's just going to be things will continue to get, whether it's a VR headset or not, I think overall video games are just going to get more and more immersive. Not only that, I could see it for music, too. Like, you know, we have this whole thing of Taylor Swift and Bruce Springsteen tickets costing six grand yep. with the, the monopoly that is Ticketmaster. Yep. Um, how can you break that kind of monopoly? Well, you have virtual concerts. I mm. could totally see people doing going to a virtual concert. I think that's one thing that definitely is a, has come out of the pandemic is, I mean, a couple of bands that I follow have kind of started offering a, a virtual option for, uh, for some of those shows. I don't think you'll ever see fully virtual because you can't beat the experience – of being there, of you know, no, singing true. at the top of your lungs, of you know, walking through, you know, stepping through spilled beer, and you know, yeah, smelling I'm going, the, going to a smelling cons- the marijuana smoke and everything Saturday, else. Saturday, so exactly. yeah, mo- oh, who are you, you seeing? You can't, mo- you can't virtually mosh. We're seeing um, the starting line. I don't know them. Yeah. It's a uh, punk rock. Okay, I yeah, I um, I listen to dad rock. I'm an old man. So oh, like Boston, uh, Chicago. A lot, of, a little bit of Chicago. Uh, for my first dance at our wedding was actually to a um, to a Chicago song, but mostly um, a lot of Steely Dan, a lot of Springsteen, a lot of okay. U2. Yeah, Dusty Springfield. So. Not really. Rick no. Springfield, maybe. Rick Springfield? Yeah. Um, uh, who's the, the lady who's died? Um, oh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Oh, she was, Christine, Christine McVie was an absolute yeah. legend. One of the, uh, I'm, I'm pretty big into to vinyl and into, you know, mm, listening to music on vinyl as it was meant to be. One of the most seminal releases on vinyl ever has got to be Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Um, whether you're a fan of the genre or not, it's one that 
the way it, you know, crackles and hums and everything else when it's on a turntable is absolutely sublime. It does. It's not, isn't that weird how old is, old is new again? Because vinyls, we've been hurting vinyls making a comeback for the past five years. Yeah. But it's back. It's, it's a lot great. of work, um, you know, having to get up and turn a record over and everything else. But, you know, it, it, it still beats the hell out of a streaming Spotify through my Sonos, which yeah. I do a lot of as well. Yeah, I do. I love my Sonos as well. But when I was, when I was at Hofstra, um, I did WRHU, uh, which was their radio station, okay. which is phenomenal. But one thing we had to do was an hour of, like, engineering, like, the radio, like, all over the radio. Right. You could choose what you could do, or you could do a community volunteer. So I did community volunteer with uh, Basha, which was the Polka Oberic show, which was all vinyl. Oh, wow. So I, I had the turntables hooked up to the uh, the board, like, mm-hmm. just like you see in there with yep. Christian. But it was vinyl of 45s and 60s with the, wow. pol- with the polka music. Right. Because I'm Polish, right? So I was yeah, like, hey, exactly, be, yeah. I was like, this will be fun. And it was it was one of the coolest things I ever did, I did at school. Because like I got to learn vinyl, mm-hmm. I learned how it worked, I right. learned like the, how the actual turntable exactly connecting yeah. it to a board like old technology with new technology. And Basha was just like the greatest, sweetest old lady ever. Is playing her Polish music. Yeah, she's going to listen to polka music. Yes, come on, young man, we listen oh. to polka together. And you know, so my, <laughs> my uncle Phil, shout out to Uncle Phil. Yeah. Um, my brother just got married, and he begged, begged them for two polkas mm-hmm. at the wedding. We begged for three, but he got two. Right. And to be fair, stole the wedding. So, Phil, you'll get three at mine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him. He pays me, gives me an extra $100 in a check. We'll get one more. Exactly. You always got to one-up your brother, right? Of That's course. The, yeah. I'm the younger brother. Yeah, That's exactly. What you, yeah. you got to do. Yeah. See, so I have a younger sister, so I never had to play any games of one-upsmanship at all. So. Well, you got to get lucky. All right, Mike. Well, we've gone just just about an hour. Wow. Time and flies time when you're flies. having fun. And you're, when, when we were talking fintech. You know, Anything that, else you want to cover? I think that um, we should probably leave it here for now, but I, uh, I, I've i really enjoyed the time. Yeah. Um, I really think that um, you know, I've had the chance to kind of, you know, share some of my sentiments on the space that I play in and share a lot of sentiments on the, uh, you know, on the, on the state of the universe and the state of affairs right now, as well as, as well as hearing yours. And I think it's been a, it's been a fascinating conversation. We did bounce around a lot, but that's somehow just how I like it. But before we go, yes. the final question. Drum roll, please. Always goes to the guest. So you get to ask me a question. Or you can plead the fifth if I put you on this. I do put people on the spot. You no, no I, I guess I'm going to ask you, um, do you see this at, like, what do you see your career path as? Obviously, you know, between the work that you do professionally with NASDAQ, the work that you do with Ambiguous and everything else, what's the, uh, what's five years down the road look like for Will? It's a great question. It's something I think about every single day. Um, I'm on a fork in the road, right? I can go this way or I can go this way. You know, Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yeah, right? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm, my, my point is I'm trying to do both. Yeah. Right, like I love my job at Trade Talks. I love being full time. Um, I learned so much there. I learned a lot of what I do here. Mm-hmm. It's transferable skills, right? Where I learn in podcasting, I, I apply there. Where I learn there, I apply to podcasting. So they really are one and the same. Ideally, I'd love to merge the two. Right. Um, but if not, it's gonna be my life goal. Isn't my career, mm-hmm. right? My life goal is to be a dad. I want right. a house, two kids, and a wife. Right. Right. In the suburbs. Yeah. So my career. Whatever gets me there first. Nice. Whatever pays the bills first. Mm-hmm. Whoever pay, my money, my loyalty is to the family and the money who, that pays them. So whoever can pay me more money, that's where I'll be. I mean, regardless, I'm going to be doing this podcast forever. Right. Um, I'm going to be podcasting not just five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years. Mm-hmm. I'll be podcasting. I'll probably die on this mic. I do love the fact that podcasting has, a, um, has experienced a real renaissance. I mean, it was a, I remember it being a really big thing in the early 2000s. Then mm-hmm. it kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of, you know, five or six years ago, it, it started to become a thing again, which I think is great. I definitely immersed myself a lot more in podcasts over the past few years than I did kind of the uh, the first time around. And I really, you know, I've got some that you know, I regularly listen to and everything else, and some that I kind of dip in and dip out of. Mm-hmm. But I just think that it's a, um, you know, it, it's a really fascinating, uh, a fascinating medium. medium. And I, I think, it's, you know, blogging's kind of been the same way. You know, where blogging was a really big thing in the, yeah. uh, the early 2000s, and then it kind of went away. And, you know, now bloggers are back with a vengeance. It's a so. wild card. Yeah. And I think people are sleeping on the technology behind podcasting, like what you can do with an RSS feed in mm-hmm. terms of marketing, SEO, yep. that kind of stuff. There's a lot you can do. And I do have this golden idea for how, like, you know, I'm, I'm creating, trying to create a, a distribution app. Right. Right. How can my app be different than others? Mm-hmm. I have the idea. I've got the team to build it. It's a matter of the funding to make it actually happen. Right. Um, but the technology behind podcasting is fascinating. It is the most fascinating. That's know interesting. Yeah. Talking about fintech, but I'm telling you, podtech. Podtech. That is going to be. That could be. That could be the next wave of tech. I was going to say we've got. You know, we've got fintech. We've got law tech. We've got ad tech. We've got health tech. Bring on podtech. And I'll be there to watch it pop or pop it myself. Let's do it. <laughs>
But Mike, until then, it's been great having you. Likewise, I, Will, thank you so much for having me. And thank I'd love you to pick up the conversation some other time. Phenomenal guest. My rule is once a quarter. All right. So technically in two weeks, it's January. That's a new quarter. <laughs> <laughs> we can bring you back anytime, anytime after that. So anyway, thing you want to share about yourself, anything you want to plug, your website, your company, any socials, anything you want to plug? I do. Okay, so uh, plugging the professional side first. Um, R3 is a provider, as I, I talked about throughout the podcast. We provide distributed ledger solutions to regulated entities in capital markets and banking. If you want to learn more about what we do, r3.com. If you want to join us, uh, reach out, check out r3.com slash careers. Reach out to me directly if you're interested in learning more about the, uh, the opportunities we have opening. You know, we've got some openings on my team. We have openings in sales. We have openings in professional services. Running the full gamut. Uh, more on the personal side, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Ilk and Cookies, I-L-K and Cookies. Um, just taking the, uh, you know, Ilk has always been my nickname, so it kind of made sense that I would, you know, just kind of run with that. Um, and also on Instagram at just, uh, my handle is just Ilk. Um, hoping that, you know, we talked a bit about sports kind of at the, uh, the top of the show. I'm hoping that, you know, at some point before I die, I can see, you know, the uh, the White Sox win another one or, you know, the Bills win a first one. I'd love to see the Bills. Uh, my grandfather didn't make it to see the uh, the Bills win a Super Bowl, but I'd like to see, I'd like to have my dad have the opportunity. So My grandfather did see the Sox win a few. Yeah. So that was the silver lining. He got spoiled later in life. Yeah, he yeah. did. He Definitely, did. Yeah. He was very, very happy. So seeing him being happy, and I'm named after him, so it was extra special. Yeah. Very so. cool. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarek. That's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. Another big thank you to my guest, Mike Wilkins. We'll make sure to have him back. You can follow all of our shenanigans at uh, Talking with Tarashuk on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, all of them. Anywhere podcasts can be found. The shorts on TikTok, at Talk with Tarashuk, Instagram, Talking with Tarashuk, or Facebook, at Talk with Tarashuk. You can find me at Instagram, Will Tarashuk. It's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. UK. If you want to be a guest on a Talk with Tarashuk podcast, make sure you reach out to me via any of those social channels or my email. That's will at APSpodcast.com, APSpodcast.com. And let me know why you want to be a guest. Or, Mike, if you want to suggest someone to me, I would love to have them either here in studio or remote over Zoom. We do podcasts anywhere and everywhere. Think of my podcast as a service. Paz, podcast as a service. Yeah, podcast as a service. Like it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time. Until then, y'all take care.